0: Christ the Lord is risen. <laughs> My name is Ed, and I'm one of the pastors here at Gateway. And welcome, blessings, welcome to Gateway at Resurrection Sunday. Uh, this is Bill Russell, and Bill is going to read our scripture for us this morning. Bill, you grew up in a spiritual home. How'd you end up here?
1: Well, actually, we were a church going family when it suited us. We weren't consistent, but by the time I reached high school, I was a self-proclaimed atheist, and by the end of high school, I started to seriously wonder if maybe that decision was wrong, and I began thinking about, uh, well, what if there is a God? And uh, for that, I then seriously began to research that, and then I uh, was deeply convicted that, hey, maybe I was unforgivable, and afterwards I accepted. Accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Many years later, found Gateway because you guys are close.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you said something at the nine o'clock this morning that struck me. You said you didn't use, you didn't phrase it like this, but you said you started doubting your doubts. Yeah, that's a powerful thing. I mean, we think of faith as this thing that we have to prove, and then our, our doubt is obvious. But if you start to actually try to make your doubts stand up, it's it's hard to do.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting time when I actually reached that place where I felt like, wait, there very well could be a God, and then if there is, where am I in this? And
0: that was a scary place. Okay. Bill's going to read for us this morning from John's Gospel, chapter 21. He's going to read a profoundly fascinating exchange between the resurrected Jesus and Peter. So let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word while Bill reads for us John 21 verses one through 19.
1: John 21, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberius. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw the charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it And after saying this, he said to him, follow
0: me. You may be seated. Well, some of you just got back from spring break and you're depressed about it. And others of you were unable to go anywhere for spring break. And you might be even more depressed. So I thought we would start this morning by just reviewing some facts that many of us know. Some of you don't. We want to get this straight. Some facts about the Easter bunny. Again, Some of you will know these, some of you won't, but let's review. What is the Easter Bunny's favorite restaurant? Some of you know this. Of course, it's IHOP. Uh, What is the Easter Bunny's favorite kind of music? Some people think classical. It's not. Some people think jazz. No, it's hip-hop. But what did the Easter Bunny say to the carrot? Now, people get this wrong all the time. They think different things, but let's clarify. The Easter Bunny said to the carrot, it's been nice knowing you. So anyway... It's been nice gnawing you. (laughs) Thought that would do better than that. (laughs) Easter has come to mean a lot of different things to different people. We are here because we believe that Easter is a celebration of the single greatest event in human history. And because Jesus was resurrected, that means he's alive and still interacting with us. Still interacting with us. I really believe Even today, the resurrected Jesus is presenting himself to each one of us individually in exactly the way that we need to be approached. For some of us, it's emotionally. For some of us, it's through argument and reason. Perhaps it's through a dream or a vision for some of us. For others of us, it's the testimony of a friend. The resurrected Jesus is still offering himself to us even this morning. That's just what he did in the days right after his resurrection. He showed himself gently with words of comfort to the emotionally overwrought Mary Magdalene. To the pragmatic Thomas, he offered his wounds for Thomas's inspection. To the forceful Paul, he knocked him off his horse, overwhelmed him with a vision. And to the fisherman Peter, he simply called out to him from the shore after a fruitless night of fishing, which is exactly what he had done when they first met. And we've sensed him. I bet almost all of us have late at night on a long drive home in a church setting somewhere like this, singing spiritual songs or out looking at the stars one night in conversation with friends, walking on the beach with one of our children at the funeral of a close friend. We've sensed his realness. We've felt his presence. So what do we do with that kind of experience when we have it? When we experience the resurrected Jesus, how do we respond? The story Bill read for us, offers us some insight into what can happen when we encounter the resurrected Jesus. In fact, it gives us a model. This will be a good reminder for some of you. For others of you, this will be a first take. So let's start with this. When you encounter the resurrected Jesus, you have a choice to make. You can choose to ignore him. You can choose to minimize the experience. Or you can adjust your whole life to the new reality that he represents. You have a choice. Peter's encounter with Jesus models for us what adjusting our life looks like. So let's look at Peter, at least three things involved here. If we're gonna adjust our lives to the new reality that are represented by the resurrection of Jesus, then first of all, we will pursue Jesus with single-minded abandon. We will pursue Jesus with single-minded abandon, whatever that means, whatever it takes. When Peter realized that the speaker on the shore was Jesus, did you catch what Bill read? Peter threw himself into the sea. I mean, he couldn't get to Jesus quickly enough. He abandoned the fish. He abandoned the boat. He abandoned the other disciples. He was all in for Jesus. Jesus doesn't want distant admirers. He wants followers who are single-mindedly abandoned to him. I'm reminded of our oldest son, Jordan, sometimes leads worship for us here at Gateway, he was here this morning. When we took Jordan to preschool, Diane and I were talking about this the other day with I think one of the young families at Gateway, I can't remember who we were talking to about this, we were laughing about this together. We took Jordan to his first day of preschool, we lived in Massachusetts at the time, and and He was our oldest. We'd never taken a kid to preschool before. We didn't realize. I mean, we could have guessed. You know the drill. Some of you who have preschool kids, you're in this right now. Others of you will remember this. You walk into preschool, and they're clinging to the side of your pants to mom or dad, or if they're a little more shy, they're standing behind, peeking out around, wanting to see what's about to happen. And Jordan's doing the same thing. We walk through the door, He's he's holding on until we get to the door, and Jordan sees the Lego table. And it is a picture of abandonment. It is all in for the Lego table. Nothing else matters. He forgets his family. He forgets his parents. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, we go to pick him up. All the kids, you know, moms and dads come. All the kids are running to their parents. Jordan is hiding under the Lego table. He doesn't want us to see him. Diana is trying to explain herself to the teacher. Look, we really do love him. It's a good home. <laughs> Jesus doesn't want Religion. I don't care if you went to Sunday school when you were little. I don't care if you went to Catholic school through the eighth grade. He doesn't want religion. He wants a relationship with us. He wants single-minded abandon. Religion is the regular practice of some kind of ritual, like prayers or candle lighting or singing songs. And religion can facilitate. It provides structure. It can facilitate a spiritual relationship, but it cannot be the substance of it. It cannot replace a relationship with God. My wife is Diane. Do you think Diane would rather that I go through the motions of love for her or would she rather I have a genuine and real affection for her? Would she rather I put on a regular performance or would she rather I really mean it? Would she rather that I abandon all others for her? Of course she would rather I have genuine affection for her and God is no different. He wants a relationship with us. When we have an encounter with the risen Jesus, we can either choose to ignore it, or we can minimize it, or we can adjust our life to the reality of it, but a real response cannot be a partial response. A real response is Peter throwing himself into the sea. A real response is Jordan running for the Lego table. So adjusting your life to it will mean responding with single-minded abandon. You will abandon your priorities and your values, and you will adopt his. You will abandon self-centeredness and self-righteousness, and you will adopt devotion to God. You will throw yourself in the sea and swim for the shore. Those of you who are part of Gateway have heard me relay this a number of times, but when we first started Gateway, years ago, we started it by knocking on doors. I came to your homes and knocked on your doors, or people just like you. It was years ago. There were about 500 homes in South Riding. I knocked on every door, so if you're one of the original South Ridingers, I'm sorry. So I came to your door, flashed my toothy grin. I had hair then, it was brown. And you came to the door and you were shockingly friendly. You had a lot more time then I feel like than you do now. And I said to you, hey, I have a survey. I'm not recruiting. I wasn't recruiting, we didn't have a name. We only had five people in the church. My wife and I and our three boys. So I said, I'm not recruiting, just trying to find out who lives here and wanna know who you are. I've got seven questions, it'll take less than five minutes. Do you have five minutes? And I was shocked, you said yes. So we talked together. I asked you your questions. I got a lot of notes and I gathered some things that became part of how Gateway is and how we operate and who we are. But the most important thing I learned, we had lived in the inner city in Boston. We were in a very, very poor neighborhood and we moved from the poorest neighborhood in Massachusetts to the wealthiest county in America. And I realized that suburban Americans really like their lives. Sometimes you don't think you do, but you do. When... We had spent years with people who really did not like their lives. It was easy to see that you like your lives, and and I know why you like your life. It's a pretty good life. You like your life, you would just like it a little better. That is a deal that Jesus is not willing to make with you. Let's be honest. Do I always feel single-mindedly abandoned in my relationship with God? No, I don't. But that is my goal. That's how we respond to an encounter with him. Secondly, when we have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, we should allow ourselves to be led to real repentance. By the way, just an aside here. I think it's fascinating, especially for those of you who are skeptics. It's fascinating to me how real this story reads. Honestly, so does most of the New Testament. I just look at the details of this encounter. John says, when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. This is not a detail you include unless you're an eyewitness. The second thing we do when we encounter the resurrected Jesus, if we want to take that reality seriously, is we should allow ourselves to be led to real repentance. This is part of what it means to adjust our lives to encountering him. Now, repentance translates the Greek word metanoia, which means to change your mind or change your perspective or even change your direction. Diane and I live in Ashburn, and for the first few years when we were driving from Ashburn over here to this side of town, those of you Uh, live in Ashburn, you'll know this. We would go down Wax Pool, and then we would take 28 south, and then we would take 50 west until all of you people started moving here, and 50 just became, where, why are you people always on the road? (laughs) But 50 became a nightmare, and then I realized, holy smokes, we can go a completely different direction. We can go through Arcola. There's a whole lot less of you there, and it's a little scenic, and it's awesome, but to do that, I get in my car, I go out to the edge of my neighborhood, and I take a right Instead of a left, that's called repentance. (laughs) Go a different direction. Real repentance only happens under God's leadership. Real repentance only happens because of God's intervention in our lives. Romans 2, 4, the Apostle Paul says this, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. When we're left to our own devices, we might feel shame. We might be sorry, we might apologize, but we will not repent. This means we will not get to real change. Oh, we might change our wardrobe, or we might stop drinking sodas, but we will not get to change that matters without an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and our adjusting to that. And when we encounter him, we have to let him lead us to repentance. My experience with myself has been that I am completely in favor of change in the abstract, but when it actually presents itself, I'm often not a fan. It's not that I don't want it, it's just that I can't get to it. I can't accomplish it myself, or not the change that I'm after. And I also always don't want what that change represents. I simply can't get there. I have to allow God to change me, and I have to remember that he knows best. So when we encounter the resurrected Jesus, we should allow ourselves to be led to real repentance. This is how real change happens. What do I mean by allowing God to lead us to repentance? I want you to look at the interaction with Peter. Don't miss this. He gives Peter in this encounter an emotional poke, doesn't he? It may be stronger than that. It might be a punch in the ribs. He uses a specific line of questioning, and then combines it with the entire atmosphere, and he's trying to drive Peter into himself. He's trying to confront Peter with himself. He's, he's trying to lead Peter to repentance, and Peter allows it to happen. Three times, Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me? Remember, three times, Peter had denied Jesus And the whole exchange that Bill read for us, you may have missed this detail, it happened around a charcoal fire on the beach. That's not an insignificant detail. Remember, Peter had betrayed Jesus around a charcoal fire. That phrase is only used two times, these two times in the New Testament. On the night of his betrayal, Peter had told Jesus emphatically, I'll never deny you. So the very next time that they're alone together, after that declaration was here, after Jesus' horrible trial and torture, after Peter's repeated denials, after Jesus' resurrection, Peter, do you love me? Okay, I deserve that. Peter, do you love me? Ouch. Peter, do you love me? Each of three times, Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And then in each case, Jesus challenges Peter. And check it out. He challenges Peter to go big, to do something completely different with his life. Feed my lambs, Peter. Now, Peter's probably too stunned, I think, to get this. Tend my sheep, Peter. Wait, what? Feed my sheep, Peter. You were made for more than what you're doing. Let's go do what you were made for. And then at the end, Jesus speaks a word that those sitting around the fire understand to be a prediction of Peter's death, which would eventually happen. In other words, Jesus is saying, this will not be easy, Peter, but if you go with me, if you follow me, and allow me to bring you through repentance, a completely different version of yourself will emerge, and it will be the real you, by the way, because I know you and I love you. I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, are you ever going to lie like that again, Peter? Nor does he say, are you ever going to betray me like you did? Because the point is not guilt for Jesus. The point is repentance and a new life. So what he said, in effect, was, Peter, you know through what you did that you acted like someone who doesn't love me. But we know you do. Now you and I both know you do. Now go and be the person that God designed you to be. Don't be the angry, petulant fisherman that I first met. Don't be the loud-mouthed admirer who flips when things get toughest. Be the man who will bring change to the world. Through this process, Peter is led to repentance, not to sorrow and guilt, but to repentance and change. When we have an encounter with the risen Jesus, we can choose to ignore it, or we can minimize it, or we can adjust our entire life to it. And if we adjust our entire life to it, we will have to allow God to to lead us to repentance. I'm reminded of my good friend Tom. When Tom first came to Gateway, he would later tell me he had no idea what the grace of God was. He was raised in a spiritual home, he even thought about being a priest. But he didn't know the grace of God. As a part of connecting with Gateway, he came to know the grace of God and the Lord convicted him there was something in his life, there was something awful in his life, in his marriage. And he needed to tell his wife about it. That's what began to stir in him. And how could he? But eventually, the press was so heavy on his heart that he did. And his marriage went from tough to really bad as he got more honest. But over time, Tom became not only a good friend, but one of the elders at Gateway. And he had one of the healthiest marriages I've ever known. When we respond to the resurrected Jesus, we have to allow God to lead us to repentance, whatever that means. Third, when we have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, we should commit to being a radical follower. It is no longer my way, it is his way. This is the result of repentance. No matter what that means, your politics, your job, your sexuality, your thinking about the world, your citizenship, it's not my way, it's his way. Did you notice at the beginning of this passage, Peter is fishing? Don't snooze on this. This is how he spent his whole life. This is what Peter knows, right? Peter is going back to what he knows, to what he's learned how to do. But this is not what he was designed for. He was designed to be a feeder of sheep, a tender of lambs, a leader of the flock. And Peter's encounter with the risen Jesus changed everything. If you find the book of John in your Bible, and I would encourage you to do this later this afternoon, you'll notice that the chapter that Bill read for us is the last chapter in the book of John. If you turn the page, right after the book of John is the book of Acts. And Acts is a partial history of the early church movement in the decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. And in this book, in the book of Acts, Peter the guy who warmed himself by a charcoal fire in Jerusalem outside of Caiaphas' house while Jesus was being tried and beaten, the guy who denied Jesus with profanity-laced exuberance, the unschooled Galilean fisherman, that guy is leading the church, and thousands of people are responding to him. When we have an encounter with the risen Jesus, we can choose to ignore it, we can minimize it, we can adjust our entire life to it. And adjusting our entire life to it will mean committing ourselves to being a radical follower. I think of my friend Ina. Ina was a school teacher in Rhode Island. She was a reading specialist, and she had a great job. She was well-known. She was a consultant throughout the state. She had a friend who repeatedly asked her to go on mission trips. Why would I go on a mission trip? It's during the summer, the only time I get a break. But one summer she decided to go. She went to the Dominican Republic, and during that trip... It wasn't even part of their schedule. They went to a little village way outside up in the mountains. They were called the people with no name. They, had, they were not registered. They had no rights, no citizenship. Ina went to the village of Circadillo and it broke her heart. She came back to the United States, asked for a year leave of absence. After that year leave of absence, she came back and sold her home, sold all of her belongings, and moved her life to the Dominican Republic to minister in the village of Circadia. We support her at Gateway. Every year we go down to the village of Circadia and we watch Ina build a social network, build an economic network, build a church. And now she's in the process of building a school. I think of my friend Gary. Gary was a project manager He lived in Percival. He was on a business trip one time. He opened a magazine out of the, in the seat in front of him and it had an article about orphans in Zambia. And the resurrected Jesus broke his heart. And said, I want you to do something about that, Gary. And Gary changed his entire life. He gave up his job. And he built an organization called Every Orphan's Hope. And that organization has ministered to dozens of orphans who live in homes with women who have lost their entire families and now they get to be mothers again. I think of my friend Jenny. Jenny. Jenny was a suburban mom who stumbled into an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And when she did, it changed everything. She started asking questions. She started learning and growing, and she started learning about prayer. And she started a prayer ministry. And other people joined in. She and a few ladies started this little prayer ministry. Just a little prayer ministry. Let's get together and pray for one another. And that ministry had an effect really internationally. They had people visit their city and hear about this prayer ministry and come pray with these ladies. There's much at stake in this conversation this morning. The resurrection of Jesus is not a family tradition. I'm really glad families are here this morning. But the resurrection of Jesus is not a family tradition. It's not a sweet symbol like the Easter Bunny. It's not a party trick. It's the single most important event in human history. And if it didn't happen, if it didn't actually happen, then most of us are fools. We may be nice fools, but we're fools. We have abandoned our lives to a fiction. But if it did really happen, it presents a whole new reality. Look, this is not like seeing David Blaine do street magic. This is like taking the blue pill in The Matrix and waking up in a whole different reality. This this is waking up in a new life. And we must respond to it by pursuing Jesus with single minded abandon. By allowing ourselves to be led to repentance and by committing ourselves to being a radical follower. All right. Let's end today by thinking about those three possibilities that we keep mentioning. As I said, Jesus is alive and well, and he's always moving within us and around us in ways that are designed especially for us, through the words of a song, through the questions of our preschooler, through something we've read in the Bible or something we've heard on a Sunday morning. We've felt the tug. He's speaking, and sometimes we hear him. Sometimes His voice breaks through the noise of our lives, and when it does, we have a choice to make. We can certainly choose to ignore it. We often do. We don't have time. Or we don't want to deal with the emotion of the whole situation because sometimes an encounter with the resurrected Jesus stirs up emotions. Or we don't want to deal with the guilt it elicits, so we push it aside. It's funny. Since I'm the professional religious guy, I get to hear people's weird religious experiences occasionally. And in case you ever feel like telling me about your weird religious experience, I want to warn you, I have a standard question that I ask. So what did you do with that experience? And there's almost never a good answer to that. It's usually some form of a shrug and, I don't, I don't know, what, what, what can I do? What, what should I do? Because that experience... Is long ago dismissed. We can choose to ignore it. A second way to respond to an encounter with the resurrected Jesus is we can choose to minimize it. We can make it smaller than it is. We can rewrite our history. I had a friend years ago told me that he'd given up on God. God never moves. He never speaks. How do we even know he's there? Wait, you've heard God speak before. I've never heard God speak. This from a guy who was convinced that God wanted him to become a pastor. Churches were getting it all wrong. He was passionate about it. God wanted him to show us the right way to do it. Well, you know, everybody feels that way when they're young. I'm pretty sure not everybody feels that way when they're young. We can minimize it. We can rewrite it. After all, it was our junior year in college, or it was our sophomore year in high school, or it was 27, it was a passing thing. It was weird. Well, maybe here's how we can respond. If we want to adjust our lives to it, we can pursue Jesus with reckless abandon. That means you go for a relationship with Him in every way you can. You can allow yourself to be led to repentance. That means you receive from Him whatever that means for you. And finally, you submit yourself to following Him, even if it means changing your life. Let's pray. Oh Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who does not have a relationship with you, Jesus, I pray that you will speak, that you have spoken in a way that we can hear you. And I pray that you would train our hearts on you, that you would give us the courage to respond with abandonment. Allowing you to lead us to repentance. Enabling us to be a radical follower. Not our way, but your way. In every area of our lives. Or for those of us who've been at this for a long time, I pray that today we would remember, we would remember those times with you in the past. We would remember words that we've spoken to you and that you've spoken to us. Lord, if we're still short of where you've called us in our lives, I pray today you would help us step, step. Go right instead of left. Put on our garment and dive in. Swim to the shore. Lord, we want you to hear us today as we do everything we know how to do to surrender all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. Hear us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so in what we have said this morning... You can, if something has stirred in you, you can choose to ignore it. (laughs) You can minimize it, or you can adjust your life to it. And I would encourage the latter. It makes all the difference. Thanks so much for being with us. All right, so let's seal this with a song, but let's stand together.
2: She's up to people said amen. Thank you so much for being with us. Have a great Easter.